0: This is the Off the Charts Business Podcast for multi-passionate entrepreneurs. Here, you'll learn how to design a scalable business so you can spend more time outside away from the screen through actionable ideas, real-world examples, and pep talks from your host. That's me, Natalie Lucier, founder of Access Ally.
1: If I just remove myself as the bottleneck, if I just create a course or if I create a group program, then we won't be limited. To what I am able to do and therefore will be able to continue growing. But the truth is you don't eliminate bottlenecks, they just move.
0: This is the Off the Charts Business Podcast for multi-passionate entrepreneurs. Here you'll learn how to design a scalable business so you can spend more time outside, away from the screen, through actionable ideas, real-world examples, and pep talks from your host, that's me, Natalie Lucier, founder of Access Ally. I am super excited today to welcome Brienne Dick from the Visionary CEO Academy, and she has so much to share. I love everything that she's done, so I know you're going to learn so much from her today. So thank you so much for being here today, Brienne.
1: I am super, super excited to have this conversation because anytime we get to talk about scaling, it just makes me happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So I think one thing that's always helpful if somebody doesn't know, you know, a a person they're going to be learning from is to just kind of understand how they got there and how they got to, you know, what they've created. So I'd love to have you share your background and kind of how you started the Visionary CEO Academy.
1: I could tell you, you know, it started when I was a child building Lego. What do you do as a kid? You don't know what you're going to do as a career. So I ended up going to university. I have a degree in computer science. I was like, I'm not going to be a programmer. So I went and got another degree in religious studies. And I don't know if you know this, but there's not a lot of career paths for people who have degrees in the history of religion and computer programming, like not a supernatural career path. But what I did learn from those experiences is that. I really am interested in figuring out how things work, right? Whether it's how people work, how religion works, how tech works, all of these things. And that led me to ultimately start working in online business. The story there is that I was working in higher ed and I had a boss who was a bully. And I one day decided, no, if I actually tried to make a go of this whole online business thing, I could probably be successful. And that's where the long and winding road really started because I started off, you know, the, I think you and I first met Natalie when I was doing, you know, online course development and instructional design because that's what I had been doing in higher ed. And what happened is that I got into these businesses and I was helping them build amazing courses. And what I realized, you can have the best course, but if you don't have the business infrastructure behind it to be able to support it the whole thing's going to fall apart. You're going to end up overworked, burned out. Your customers aren't going to be happy. And that's not ultimately what we want. And so that led to the work that I'm doing now, the work that we're doing now through the Visionary CEO Academy, which is to work with folks who have online businesses. Many are course creators. Many are coaches. Some are consultants or agency owners. And we're really looking at this question of What's going on behind the business, behind the sales and marketing, behind your products, your programs, your services, and how can we make sure that the way you get results for your clients, the way that your team is operating, and the way that your profit is working, are all working together to make your business truly sustainable and truly scalable.
0: I love that. Yes. And I love that you have the background both in courses and course design and also, you know, the business side, which I think a lot of times you, like you said, you can work really hard on a course and then, you know, maybe you launch it, maybe you do great. And then you're like, Hey, well, how do I keep doing this? How does this grow from here? So today's topic is really about bottlenecking. And I think that that's kind of an interesting topic, and I don't know that everyone knows what bottlenecking is, so maybe if you can give a couple of examples that you've seen of bottlenecking so people can say like, oh yeah, that's me, I need this.
1: <laughs> For sure. There's a few main places where we tend to see bottlenecking start to show up in an online business, especially if you, you've you already done the thing where you've created some leverage, maybe you've got a group program or you've created a course, Right. That's actually where people first identify that they have a bottleneck is I can't keep working with clients one-on-one, right? I'm at the limit of my personal capacity. And so they turn to more leveraged ways of working with people as a way to overcome that bottleneck. But here's the thing about bottlenecks that most people don't know. There's no such thing as eliminating a bottleneck. you That's everyone's goal, right? So a bottleneck is like the point at which you think about like a, a pipe, a bottleneck would be like. If you squeeze the middle of the pipe so that less can flow through it. And people think, oh, if I just open the pipe back up, if I just remove myself as the bottleneck, if I just create a course or if I create a group program, then we won't be limited to what I am able to do and therefore we will be able to continue growing. But the truth is you don't eliminate bottlenecks. They just move right? So now it's not that, you know, now you can work with more clients, but do you have the ability to do all the sales and marketing to be able to fill all of those spots? Do you have the time and energy to be able to provide the level of service that you want to all of these people that are coming into your program? And not just you personally, but say you started to build a team, do they have the ability and the time and the capacity and the energy to do those things? And that's, you know, I mentioned the idea of you need to have profit in your business to be scalable. And at the end of the day, when I'm talking about profit, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about do you have the money, do you have the time, and do you have the energy to be able to grow your business the way you want? Any one of those areas where you feel like, I don't have the time, I don't have the energy, or I don't have the money, that's an indicator that there's a bottleneck in your business that needs to be addressed so that you can increase the time, energy, and money that you are getting from your business, not just giving to your business.
0: I love that you brought the like multifacet of that. That is not just a money thing, but it could also be time and energy as well. So, I was going to ask because, you know, I think we've all experienced a bottleneck, you know, whether we've scaled a lot or not. And I think sometimes, you know, you mentioned team and you mentioned that bottlenecks move, but do you feel like perfectionism is part of the issue too? Because if you are going to hand something off to a team member, people think like, I'm going to hold on to all of this because only I can do it. (laughs) And I think there's maybe some of that. If you're an entrepreneur and you're used to doing everything yourself, All of a sudden, if you have someone else coming in to do things, how do you kind of overcome that side of things?
1: When we think about how are we going to address a bottleneck, not eliminate it, but how are we going to address a bottleneck? The first place we usually go is to a conversation of, well, what tasks can I get off my plate? Right? How can I delegate? How can I get someone else to do this, that, or the other thing? And the challenge there is exactly what you've addressed, which is that we're used to doing it all ourselves. So we have habits. Right? It's maybe not even like a perfectionist thing. It may be that we're totally conscious that we're doing it, but it's a habit. It's a habit to just jump in. Not to mention, yes, we want it done certain ways. We have certain standards. You know, can I actually trust this other person? There's control stuff that comes up. There's that they're representing me. And what did they make a mistake that makes me look bad to the world? Like all of those things come into play. But the root of a lot of that is actually that we misunderstand what it means to have our team help us address a bottleneck. We think it's about giving people tasks, but what does that mean? Well, it means that I'm going to give you a task and then I have to check to make sure that the task was done well. And then, you know, if it's not done well, then I have to step in and fix it. And and it creates this very transactional relationship between you and a team member where you're, here's a task, now take the task. And instead, what we found to be so much more powerful, both for ourselves as leaders and best, I say we because it's myself and my co-founder, Jill giovanazzo but what we found for ourselves and then with our clients is this, the true bottleneck is never the task. Tasks are easy to do, right? Whether you do it or someone else. The true bottleneck is actually the decision, that happens before the task can be executed. And that's the true bottleneck because that's where people run into situations where they don't wanna give up the control or they're not sure because they might trust the other person to do the work, but they don't trust the other person to make the right decisions about how the work should be done. And so when it comes to addressing the bottleneck, we end up in a situation where, yeah, I've given you tasks, but I'm still the one making all the decisions. I'm deciding what needs to be done. I'm deciding how it needs to be done. I'm telling you literally how to do your job in some cases with SOPs and checklists and all that kind of stuff. And every time something happens because we're the only one making decisions, we get pulled back in and the bottleneck hasn't been addressed at all because the bottleneck was that we're the only ones who have been empowered to make those decisions this is super profound. And I think that a lot of people, like you said, I think this
0: happens a lot because we're used to hiring a virtual assistant or hiring someone mm-hmm. who will just do some tasks while yeah. I you know, kind of make all the decisions. So I think it's, it's super awesome that you brought that up. Like what would be an exercise or maybe a starting point for people to recognize like, okay, how am I going to step out of this pattern that I've created in my business?
1: Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to know what you've created in your business, right? And, and don't freak out because I'm not going to tell you to go and write SOPs, right? And, and, and Natalie and I, like we're both like engineering minds, right? Like we like our checklists, we like our systems. I am not going to tell you that you have to go build checklists and SOPs because frankly, you're not the person that should be building those things if you're more of the visionary leader of the business type. The people doing the work should be the ones to build the systems because they should be deciding how the stuff gets done. Like, that's the first step here is to realize that it's not my job to create all the systems. It's my job to figure out what needs to happen so that I can then say to a team member, this is what needs to be accomplished. Please figure out how to do it. Or here's how we've been doing it. But ultimately, if you find a better way to do it, please do. And so that's the first place we have to start is we have to say what is actually happening in the business and the, the exercise that we do with our clients, we call it the value map. And it's pretty much a blow by blow. If you were to dictate, well, then first this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens, right? So first someone clicks the buy button on the, the sales page. And then there's an automated email that goes out with their invoice and receipt, and they get sent a contract. And then that contract goes to our admin, and our admin follows up to schedule an onboarding call. And then we have an onboarding call. And in that onboarding call, we talk about these three things. And then after the onboarding call, they get right, and you go through, and you just kind of dictate out all of the things that happen. You will, number one, very quickly realize that there's a lot of moving pieces in your business. And If you've been feeling like balls have been dropped in the business, you'll start to see why, because you'll start to see all of the handoffs. You'll start to see all of the places where decisions are being made or maybe not being made, places where information has to pass through five hands before it gets to the place you want it to go. And once you've done that and you've listed out these pieces, then you can step back and say, okay, this is how we're doing it. But why are we doing it? What's the actual result we are trying to achieve? With that onboarding example I gave, what are we trying to achieve might be to have our clients know where to go to get their stuff, how to access it, and how to get support. Those are like the three things that we're trying to accomplish with that whole process. We can then look at the process and say, okay, can we do this process differently so that there are less handoffs and less people need to be involved? Sometimes we do it differently where we need to put more human touch in because we've over automated and it's created more problems because, you know, we didn't ask the right questions. So then we have to get on a call to clarify all the things that happens sometimes. But we get a clear picture of what we're trying to accomplish. We can optimize it in terms of like getting rid of all of the unnecessary back and forth. And then we take that what and we decide who on our current or future team is going to be responsible for that what And that person is whether you're going to, if you're going to hire them, that's the thing that goes in the job description, not the tasks, not how, you know, not go into, you know, convert kit and write an email and not do all of these things. The outcome that they're responsible for is, you know, write emails that generate sales qualified leads, for example. That's the what. But you need to know what all the whats are before you can figure out how to get someone else to do them. And you want to make sure that people aren't doing whats that don't matter, which is why you figure out the what then you optimize, then you give your team the what and let them figure out how to go from there. So
0: I, I love what you shared. And I think one of the things that people might feel is like a little bit of overwhelm around doing this process. And I think the carrot at the end of this is that then the entrepreneur or the person who started the business can do more of the types of things they love doing as opposed to getting stuck in all of the nitty gritty all the time and like stopping the fires and the issues that keep coming up. So how, how does this translate at the end? You know, when someone has actually implemented something like this, like what's that beautiful picture at the end that people could expect.
1: <laughs> the final thing that we actually do with our clients is like, okay, now, now that you know what your team's going to be supporting you with, why don't you actually write yourself a new job description? Because most people, number one, have never written themselves a job description. And if you were to write your job description without doing all the rest of this process, it would look a whole lot like I am the doer of all the things and maker of all the decisions, right? If that's not what you want, the question is, what do you want instead? And you need to have a clear idea of what that is, because otherwise you can't get there. And so at the end of all of this is a literally a new job for yourself, where it's not you being the bottleneck, you making all the decisions, you doing all the things, but it's You empowering a team who can take care of those things and collectively you have a business that's better than any one person could ever have it be on their own. I think it's, it's helpful
0: if people know what they enjoy doing and kind of where they want to spend their focus on in the business. And I think there's a lot of times this concept of like an integrator or someone who kind of does more operational type stuff that kind of partners or works together with more of the visionary person. So can you speak to that a little bit and how people could find someone like that or work in those ways?
1: For many of the people that I speak to on a daily basis, they think the solution to their problem is going to be hiring an OBM. And what I said in the post is that it's probably not. And this got a whole bunch of people very upset because they thought I was saying that OBMs are a bad thing. And I'm not saying that. I actually worked in essentially an OBM capacity in the past, right? I I get it. I understand why the work is valuable. But the problem is that people say, oh, I'm a visionary. I'm a creative. I want to spend all of my time doing creative visionary things. And they don't actually, number one, know what those creative visionary things are, right? They just know what they don't want to do. And very often the things that they don't want, we see this, especially with a lot of our clients who are really good at sales and marketing, but they're so tired of doing it because they're on the hamster wheel. They're just constantly having to like, put stuff out there and create more stuff. And like, it feels like this never ending game that you can't win. You're always behind. And so they come to this point where it's like, oh my God, I hate marketing. I just want to hire someone else to like manage all of my marketing. Maybe that's a marketing strategist. Maybe it's a funnel strategist. Maybe it's an OBM. I don't know. They, they pick some job title. And what happens is that they hire this person and they don't actually know what they wanted because they didn't do that. What? What? Part of the picture. So they hired based on a job title instead of what they actually need. But number two, they go through that and they get really frustrated that this person isn't doing the marketing the way they would have done it. And here's a hint for all of you watching this if there's a place where you get super frustrated that someone isn't doing it the way you wanted, that's a sign that that's not something you hate right? If you truly hate doing something, you don't care if someone else does it differently than you, you just want it done. But if you're like, I really want the marketing to be done this particular way, that means like you're invested in it. You care about it. You don't want to be just like throwing your hands up and giving that over to someone else. What you need is to find the right kind of support on the implementation of those things so that it's not causing you burnout. You probably need to optimize, right? You're probably doing too much. You're probably doing things that aren't working. You probably are doing some things that you've been told you should, that you don't need to. But at the end of the day, if you care that much about it, it's probably because you're somewhat good at it. And so going and hiring someone to just take this off your plate, a magical person who's going to remove this from your plate Isn't the solution. You have to know what you want them to do before you can hire them to do it. And a job title doesn't ever tell you that, especially integrator, OBM, VA, any of these terms that are super popular in the online business world that you don't find in traditional industry. The online business world, because we are so hyper focused on messaging and branding and come up with specific brand terms for marketing, OBM integrator even va to an extent these are marketing terms they are ways of describing a set of skills training experience or in some cases they are terms used to define a certification that someone is trying to sell they are not a job an obm is not a job an obm is a collection of skills which can be so widely varied it's at, if you go out into corporate there's like 20 different job descriptions that we might call an OBM. If you just go and say, I want an OBM, you don't actually know that that's going to solve the problem that you have. You need to figure out the problem first and then go find the person. If anyone hasn't
0: heard the term OBM, it's online business manager. And I think, yeah, you're totally right that it is more of a marketing term that someone is using to train people in this You know capacity, and that's why we hear these terms a lot. I agree; it's not, it's never just like a magic bullet of like I hire this person, and then suddenly everything will be amazing. So, can you talk about what happens after you hire someone? Maybe not an OBM, but maybe an OBM who you know comes on your team, whether it's a contractor or a full time employee. How do you onboard them? How do you get some of that like magical, maybe not complete unicorn dust kind of magic, but just (laughs) a little bit, you know, of of the good stuff.
1: (laughs) We have a really unique onboarding process that it, it it's based on this idea that when most people think about onboarding a new team member, they're focused on the end result, right? They're focused on like, I just want all of this stuff off my plate. Or maybe they think about like, these are all the decisions I don't want to make anymore. And they don't necessarily have a clear map for go taking this person from, they don't know anything about your business to they're making decisions in your business. And so what happens is we tend to see people kind of giving pieces here and there. Right. And it's, it, you know, it's like try and master 5% of all of your job in week one, and then try and master the next 5% of your entire job in week two. And what really what really hit me as I was Reflecting on, on why this approach doesn't work is, is actually something that I saw in our personal finances a while back. And, and what we've been doing is the thing that I think a lot of people do, which is like we had our savings accounts for all of the different things we want to buy, right? So we had our vacation budget and we had a renovation budget and we had a landscaping budget and we like we're saving little bits of money, new car, all of these things. Every month we put in a few hundred dollars or whatever happened to be in each of these accounts. And I was looking at it one day and I was like, you know, in five years. We will be able to, I don't know what the number was, but in five years, we're going to be able to get a new car and landscaping and renovation and go on a big vacation. It's all going to happen at once. But between now and then, I'm not getting any benefit from that money other than the 0.0 whatever percent interest that the bank is inclined to give me, which doesn't keep up with inflation, right? So it's like, I could wait five, I I could save a little bit in each of these buckets and then get all of the benefit five years from now. Or- I could prioritize saving for landscaping first. And so I could save a whole bunch for landscaping, and maybe we get our landscaping done this fall. And then for the next four years, I can be enjoying a beautiful backyard while we start saving for a new vehicle. And then a year later, we have a new vehicle. And then we, right? So we can actually get the benefit of these things as we go. And the parallel here to onboarding a team member is the same thing. Instead of saying, these are the five, you know, we talked about the what's, what are the things that the person is responsible say that say there's five of them that you came up with. So instead of saying, these are the five things you're responsible for, and I want you to do a little bit of them from day one. And eventually three months from now, or six months from now, you'll be able to do all of them. Just give them one, identify one of the what's and say, for the first month you don't have to focus on anything else. So practical example, you've hired someone to help you with your sales and marketing first month. I don't want you to focus on anything other than sending the email newsletters. I want you to learn how we've been doing it. I want you to dig into the numbers. I want you to see what's been working and not working. I want you to like master and fully own everything to do with the what of our email marketing system. By the end of month one, they'll be doing 100% of the email marketing. They might be doing 0% of your Facebook ads and your social media marketing and all the rest of it, but that's okay because before you hired them, they were doing 0% of all of it. So you're still coming out ahead. The benefit is that number one, you get results faster because they're able to be fully on board and fully owning one area of the what much faster. And the second benefit is that they actually they actually start to learn the other things more quickly because they're not having to switch between things all the time. So it's like they learn the email marketing for your business and they take ownership over that. Then they do the social media marketing. But because they already have the email marketing, the social media marketing is faster. They already know the messaging. They already know those kind of things. Then you layer on the management of the ads. Then you layer on the management of the, the launches, right? You layer it on. And whereas all of those things all together probably is a six-month process, if not more, to get someone fully owning not just the tasks, but the decisions related to all of those things, now you could do it in three or four months and be able to benefit from it starting 30 days in instead of waiting for all of it six months down the road.
0: Now we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Did you know Access Ally is the most flexible way to sell and elegantly deliver digital offerings as your business grows all in one place on WordPress. You can create online courses, memberships, directories, and communities, and even sell team access all on your terms. Go to accessally.com to get a demo and see why it's the business scaling solution you've been looking for. Oh, that's so, again, so much brilliance. Thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like, yeah, you're so right that we we expect so much and we expect sometimes mm-hmm. superhumans from day one, but there is an on-ramp and there is some learning to be done before someone can really be as awesome as we know what they can be. So I think that's a more realistic approach to to getting results from a team member. So, you know, the concept here is seamless scaling. So how does hiring team members and doing all these things, how does that tie into scaling and also you, you really focus on scaling sustainably. So how mm-hmm. does that work? And is there some sort of a, a level where it stops working or like there's multiple kind of hurdles that people can reach?
1: Yeah, this is a really good question because- I think, I think even the word scaling has become one of those terms. We talked about how OVM is kind of a marketing term, and it can mean so many different things to so many different people. Scaling is another word that can mean so many different things to so many different people. So I'm going to first give you the definition of what I think scaling means or what it maybe it should mean, because it doesn't mean this for a lot of people. But to me, scaling means that, number one, your clients get results, all of them. Every client gets results. That's principle number one of scaling. If you're trying to sell something and not get results, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Right. Principle number two is every team member must be empowered, meaning they must be able to make decisions, meaning that they're actually going to like their job and want to continue to work with you. If you don't have that, you end up with team burnout, you end up with team churn, just like on the customer side, right? If you're not getting customers' results, your business is going to fall apart. If you have team members that are constantly turning over and leaving or getting burned out, you're going to not be able to scale, you're not going to be able to continue growing. And then the third thing is that you need to also love your life, right? You need to actually be doing the work that your business is feeding you instead of you feeding it all the time. And so, you know, essentially that comes back to those three concepts that we talked about earlier, which is that we need to know that we have the profit, we need to know that we have the results. And we need to know that we have the team. And scaling is when all of those three things can increase without negatively impacting each other. So you could increase profit by tripling your prices, cutting your team in half, and just selling all day long. But your team's going to suck and your results are going to suck. That's not scalable. You could go all in on providing world-class results and serving more people and getting them better results. And you could be not profitable and you could be burned out because you're trying to do too much of yourself. That's not scalable. You can have an amazing team. You can have people having people that are like brilliant at what you do and you're paying them so much money and you're kind of wondering, is it really worth it? Because I'm not sure we're getting the results for it. And you ended up in this place where that's not scalable. So a scalable business is one where profit, results, and team can continue all to grow. We can get more profit. We can get more results for more people. And we can grow our team so it's not all on us at the same time. And it's at the same time piece that most people miss. They try and just solve one of the three and the other two fall apart. That's the difference between a business that can scale sustainably And one that's just going to spin its wheels or worse fall apart.
0: Yeah, I I think that's awesome. Because yeah, we do see sometimes like someone's income comes up really fast, but then something else falls. It's like the wheels fall off, right? Or sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, they they have great results, but like you said, they get burnt out. And then that again, like they kind of disappear or slow down the business or whatnot. So I think that's super important for all of us who want to scale, who want to get to that next level to recognize it's a balance between all of those pieces of your business. And Mm -hmm. I really like what you said also about making sure that your business is feeding you as well. And that it's not Mm -hmm. just you trying to put everything that you have, all of your energy and everything into your business. And then you don't have anything at the end of the day. What are some of the things that people can do to kind of move more in this direction?
1: Let's first recap what not to do, right? Don't try and solve profit results and team independently of each other, right? What would that look like? That would look like going and hiring a bookkeeper or opening up four different bank accounts and starting profit first, all of which are good things in themselves, but won't solve the entire problem. Results could look like creating a course or launching a group program or something like that. Great idea potentially, but not if you don't take into account the other two team, hiring a bunch of people, going out and, you know, making a bunch of, you know, contractors or employees or whatever it is, also a great idea, but not if it doesn't take into account the other two. And so essentially, again, being a math and kind of engineering nerd, I think Venn diagram, right? So we got the overlapping circles, right? And these things all intersect. So if we want to become scalable, we have to address the intersections and the places where these touch each other where do profit and results intersect where do they touch each other well that's your model your business model yes also your delivery model also your op, you know your sales and marketing model how do you actually execute profitably the way that you get more results for more people what does it look like for you to deliver your services what does it look like for you to market that's that value map that we talked about and going through and saying how are we exchanging value value to the business is profit. Value to the customer is results. Let's map out how that value is being exchanged through our model. Then once we've got that, we've got profit and results overlapped. Next, we can say, well, how do results and team overlap? How do results tell us what team we need? How does team support clients in getting results? The intersection there is making sure that you've got solid operations. So solid marketing operations, solid product operations, making sure that you know what people are doing to get results and that the results that you're getting are supported by the right people. That is ultimately what operations actually is. So we start by saying what needs to happen on the model side. Then we go and say, what does that look like operationally for the team to be able to take control of or take charge of? And then we say, okay, we need team and profit to be aligned. And team and profit is about how can we make sure, remember, profit's not just money. Profit is time, money, and energy. So how can we make sure that the entire team is benefiting in terms of time, money, and energy so that we're not burning anyone out, not just you? And how can we make sure that we have enough money time and energy to be able to support the team that we want. And the key there is what kind of culture are you building, right? Are you building a culture where you're the boss and you dictate to people what to do? Or are you building a culture where people are empowered, they know what decisions they own, they have the responsibility, and they are proactive about growing the business, Are you building a culture where you're going and hiring people for as little money as possible and you're working them really hard because you want to maximize financial profit? Or are you building a business where you want to make sure that you've got great benefits, you're providing them with a well-rounded support structure where you're treating them like, you know, actual human beings, right? Culture is what keeps team and profit aligned. And ultimately, you know, profit plus results is model. Then we go results plus team is operations team plus profit is culture. If we work on model operations and culture and we keep those three things in mind as we're growing, we will be able to become more scalable as we grow. This
0: is so good. (laughs) Like, I think it's so deep and so needed that we actually take a look at all of these aspects of our businesses. You mentioned standard operating procedures at the beginning and all of these things around systems. And I know you're a systems person. So are there systems for doing some of these things? And what are the systems that you think people need to be doing to really create, you know, the the results that you're
1: talking about right now? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's really important when I'm talking about systems, I, I, again, what do systems mean for some people it means a technology for some people, it means a process or an SOP or a checklist SOP, is standard operating procedure, you know, different people understand systems in different ways. So what I would use instead of a word "a system is you need a framework, right? You need a framework to think through these questions. So you need a framework for thinking through what are all the pieces that happen, the details of how you do that are less relevant, right? You could do it in a spreadsheet. You could do it by getting someone on your team to go and collate all the SOPs you've built and like pull it all right. That's less important. The framework is the thinking process. So it's about rewiring your brain to be able to, you notice when I was going through those, I said like, what is the model? What are the operations? And what is the culture? That's the key. We talked earlier about making the decisions. When you're focused on the what decisions, then the framework is to ask what happens. Not how does it happen, but what happens? What is the responsibility? What does ownership look like? And there are exercises and frameworks and tools that we use with our clients for all of these things. But the key to all of this and making this all work isn't the magic isn't the exercise that we actually give all of our exercises away. If people follow us on Facebook or if they come into our Facebook group, we we give all of our tools and worksheets and frameworks away because the exercise isn't the magic. It's the brain shift that happens when you actually say, I need to focus on the what, not the how that's what makes this possible. It's actually, we talked about promoting yourself and giving yourself a new job description at the end. That's actually the whole magic of all of this. As long as you stay focused on how things happen and you think your job is to be in those details, you will not create the space for any of this to emerge. The moment you step out of that yourself and you elevate yourself to focusing on what, when, why, where, not how, that is what will make the difference. You
0: answered my question because I was just going to ask, how can people make the time to do this kind of work? Because I think that is the hard thing if you're always stuck in the details and doing all the time and you need to make that step back or that zooming out effect to really be able to think at these levels and kind of visualize how everything has to happen or not how, but
1: What what it looks like when it when it happens this is probably the biggest challenge that we have in our business because we are trying to help people who are very busy. There's always more things you could be working on, and so the challenge we have is number one: we need to show them that it's worth investing some time and energy, and you know it might feel like you have extra work for a little while, but it'll make it better in the end. But the flip side of that is, as you said, by, you know, it it really is about starting to change the way you are looking at your business, right? Even recognizing that you are not the business. You may work in the business, you may work for the business, you may run the business, you may own the business, but you are not the business. Therefore, your business and you need to have a relationship, Which is going to serve both of you. And if you feel as though you're giving too much to your business and it's not giving enough back to you, you need to be willing to say, I want to redefine the boundaries of this relationship. I want to be able to have a different relationship with my business. And guess what? Your business is an inanimate, non-human object. It's not the one responsible for setting the relationship up this week, which means that it's not the thing that needs to change you do. This is giving me chills
0: (laughs) because it's so good. (laughs) Yeah. So this has been such an amazing conversation and I feel like everyone who even got like five minutes of this is going to get so much value. So I hope everyone watches the whole thing because it's amazing. So Brienne, what, how can people work with you? How, what does it look like? And you know, what are, where can they find you more?
1: Absolutely. Happy to share. I've, I've talked to, sprinkled a little bit in throughout about how we do things with clients. And the first thing I want to say is that you do not have to be a client in order to get the benefit of what we do. If you're a podcast listener, instead of like a video training type person, you can look for the Visionary CEO podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Season one, takes you through every step of our program of our method with the exercises. If you listen to that and do what we tell you to during the episode, you will again have that same experience. So that's the first thing you don't have to work with us to start making some of these shifts. But if you do want to work with us, or you're like, you know what, I need the accountability. I need someone to help coach me because that mental shift of promoting myself is like, I know for sure where I'm going to get stuck or simply you want to make sure you do it right. Cause I think there's a lot of people out there who are like, I got a good thing going. I don't want to mess it up. So whatever boat you're in, if this is something that you do want to do with my support, with the support of our team, you can head over to visionaryceoacademy.com. We've got all the details there. We don't hold anything back. There's no secrets or anything. It's a very focused implementation program where you sit down. You do these exercises, we walk you through them, you share them with us, we review them, we tell you, oh, did you see this? Go here. Like we literally look at everything you're doing and then we go from there. We go through the value map, we go through what we optimize, we go through, figure out who your team needs to be, we go through, we figure out what is your new job description and we got the coaching along the way, the consulting, the tools, the everything you could need possibly to be a success and the best part that a lot of people say is that it's like a meta lesson in itself. Watching how we deliver the program is a lesson in itself of how we can have something that is so high touch, so focused on results. So like we get in there one-on-one with every client and it's a hundred percent scalable. And for many people, that experience alone is more than worth the price of admission.
0: That's awesome. And I was going to mention, I think that you have absolutely figured it out in your own business. And I think that's why it's so great to be able to learn from you and kind of follow in your footsteps because you have built something that's scalable sustainably. You're such a great example for everyone to look at how to scale a business and not just in profit, but in all those things that you talked about. So I think that is super amazing. Any final words of advice or parting words for people?
1: I think at the end of the day, that you are not your business and that you have to be in relation with your business. You are in relation to your business. And the question is, what kind of relationship do you want that to be? If it's not the healthy relationship that you want, it's up to you to change it. And whatever that looks like for you, it's not going to change if you don't do something about it
0: it's time <laughs> for you to make that decision and then start taking those different actions. So yeah. thank you so much, Brienne. You have shared so much amazing, amazing wealth of knowledge, and definitely go and check out all of her resources. I think you're going to just get so much value and just seeing how Brienne operates on the web. She is top notch. To get the show notes and links from today's episode, head over to natalielussier.com and click the podcast link. You can also subscribe to receive email notifications when new podcasts are released least thanks for listening and until next time want to keep growing your business on your terms then sign up for my free newsletter the momentum memo you'll get quick actionable tips to gain momentum in your business every tuesday head over to natalie forward slash memo to join over 6,000 other entrepreneurs scaling on their terms whether you're just getting started or have been running your business for a while the momentum memo has something for you